Amen. Well, I was uh, thinking about a Christmas message, and um, you know, over the years you preach different messages during Christmas, and I have preached my share of them, and, but I was thinking as I was going through Advent, uh, these four words kept coming up in my mind and heart as I was going through Advent, the idea of promises, and then rumor, the rumor, what is a rumor, what does that look like, and, and the idea of what is a thrill, what thrills your heart, and then the whole deep sense of where is hope, where is hope in our world today, and it kept mowing around in my mind, I was thinking about it, well, yeah, the promises are so important to us, right, I mean, people make promises all the time, they promise they're going to do something, uh, they're promised that uh, something's going to be done. Uh, people are arranging things and saying, we're going to arrange it this way and um, declare that we're going to do it this way. But we know we live in a world where there's many broken promises and there's a lot of disappointment. Um, and then uh, we have rumors. And rumors are sort of these whispers of, of things that are not meant to uplift people but meant to actually bring them down, uh, to, to bring misinformation, to, uh, to, to be something that brings distrust. And uh, uh, we live in a world where we see it all over, right? It's, it, these, these rumors, this misinformation, it's full of, a, it's full of it. But, but one of the things we don't recognize is, is that rumors can actually be good things. There can be a good rumor. And today we're going to be seeing where rumor is, is really good. And then hope that feeling and that expectation for certain things to happen. And yet, we live in a world where hopes are dashed, where expectations are not met. And yet, brothers and sisters, today we're going to see that there is a hope that's certain. That's a wonderful hope. So that's what we're looking at. We're looking at those words. And I was thinking we were going to have children in here this morning, although... There aren't that many children in here this morning. And I was thinking about the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Since we're all a children at heart, uh, I'll, I'll use this. But how many of you have read or seen the movie, The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe? So you're, you're familiar with the story. You're, you're familiar. Uh, you can put that up. Right. So we have certainly, we have Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy. Uh, they're the main characters. We have the white witch. We have Aslan, the lion. And this story revolves around these characters, right? This, this wonderful thing that's going on. And it starts with the young, young children during World War II in London being sent to the countryside to live with a professor, as you guys all know. And uh, it was a rainy day, and they were playing inside. They were playing hide-and-seek, and Lucy goes into the wardrobe. And um, what happens is as she gets to the end of the wardrobe, she's, she's no longer where she thought she was going to be. She was actually outside in the snow in this white landscape. And what she didn't realize then was that she was in Narnia. And certainly the story goes on. She meets Mr. Timmis. And then uh, some of the other things that begin to happen is they begin to find out, especially when Edmund arrives, that uh, this whole kingdom of Narnia is ruled by the White Witch. And the White Witch is evil, and cold-hearted, and so you can put that up. There's the white witch, right? You can just see it, right? This, this sense of the white witch, and she was definitely someone who was controlling 
all that was going on. And, and the phrase that was used was always winter and never Christmas. Always winter and never Christmas. And sort of this whole idea uh, that this world was hopeless. There was, there was nothing to live for in this world. And yet there was a promise, this deeper magic. And when they met Mr. Beaver, he whispered, there's a rumor. There's a rumor that Aslan is on the move. There's a rumor that Aslan is on the move. And the kids explains that even when this happened, even though they didn't even know who Aslan was, there was this sense of excitement, this sense of like, Aslan, what is this all about? And you can put Aslan up there. Of course, they will find out that he was the lion and that Aslan was on the move. And as we look at that story, you know, he used that story, as many of you know, C.S. Lewis was an atheist for a good part of his life and then came to know the Lord. And he began to write these amazing stories that reflect, and this one, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, reflects a good bit of the Christmas story. And that's what we're going to be looking at. We're going to be looking at the promises. Think about this for a second. From Genesis to Malachi, the Old Old Testament, there was from the beginning in Genesis, when there was rebellion in the garden with Adam and Eve, when God came and proclaimed a curse and that the wages of sin were death and creation was cursed, even in that moment, there was a promise of an offspring who was going to come and reverse the curse, an offspring who was going to come and rescue his people. And then for 4,000 years of promises, all the way up to the book of Malachi, where there's the promise of the one who will come before him and prepare the way for the Lord. And as we look at this story, we begin to see these promises. So 700 years before this promise will become a reality, in Isaiah 7, 14, it said, the virgin will be with child and called Emmanuel. The virgin will be with child. Just seemed absurd, right? And then in Isaiah 9, 2, the light will come in the darkness, and in the valley of the shadow of death, a light has emerged, and a son will be given, and he will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. And then in Micah, 400 years before the event, Bethlehem, out of you, will come the one who will rule, whose origins are from ancient times. 4,000 years of promises. And then, and then, the messages of the angels, right? The angels' message to Zechariah. Elizabeth will have a son in her old age called John. He will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to make ready a people for the Lord. And then, not too much after that, an angel's message to Mary. Mary, you will be with child and give birth to a son and give him the name Jesus. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and power the Most High overshadow you. The Holy One born will be called the Son of God. And then the word goes out. Elizabeth gives birth to John. And these happenings are being whispered around the countryside. And it's just like Aslan on the move with Mr. Beaver. This is about the Messiah. 
has the promised Messiah? Is God on the move? Is he going to fulfill his promises? And this was a wonderful rumor that was spreading. And then these words from Luke 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to them on whom his favor rests. Can you even today sense the thrill, the surge of excitement? Think about that. The angel appearing in the fields to the shepherds, announcing the birth of the Messiah, the promised Messiah. Then a host of angels singing and praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest. Can you sense the wonder all these years later? Can you sense the wonder of that? I'm sure it's crossed all of your minds at one time or another. Wouldn't it be amazing to experience that? Wouldn't it? God is faithful to his promise. The word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us full of grace and truth. And so Dorothy Sayers has this quote, and I think about the incarnation. And let me read it to you. It's in your outline also. The incarnation means that for whatever reason God chose to let us fall into a condition of being limited to suffer, to be subject to sorrows and death, he has nonetheless had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. He himself has gone through the whole of human experience, from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. He was born in poverty and suffered infinite pain all for us and thought it well worth his wild. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He has come. See, the incarnation, it, it gives us a resource in our suffering that is, that is more valuable than even an explanation of why is this happening. God descended into the world and became vulnerable and suffered and died himself. Now, if you're believing that right now, the Holy Spirit's at work in you. Because for many people, this is just ridiculous. This is absurd. How does God, God cannot do this. God cannot die. He can't be on a cross. But if you're here today, the Spirit of God has been speaking in your heart this wonderful truth of how God is, that he came and he was with us. He gives his personal presence in our suffering. And only Christianity adds the word courage to God's list of attributes. He knows what it's like to experience hunger, 
danger, injustice, rejection, torture, suffering, and death. For the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. There is in that salvation and eternal life. And for us who believe that today, we are new creatures. We have been made new. We have been made sons and daughters of the living God. We have an inheritance that can't be taken from us. We have a Holy Spirit that lives with us. We have the word of God that speaks truth to us in the insanity of this world. We have brothers and sisters who we can come alongside, we can pray with and go before the throne of God with and cry out our Father with. We have been given so much. And in doing all this, what God is doing is he's reversing the curse. The white witch's spell has been broken. And that's what we see in Christ and in his coming. Because, brothers and sisters, we become a people of hope. We sense and we feel we have the thrill of hope living in us. So think about that for a second. Hope. What does hope mean to most people? Well, really, wishful thinking. An emotional longing for something better. The human idea of hope depends on the circumstances of life, which could be hopeful or hopeless. But life is unpredictable and uncertain. All of us have seen dreams dashed and hopes die. All of us. But by contrast, this biblical word for hope, it doesn't mean just wishing on something or for something. It's a hope. It's a confident expectation. It's an assured anticipation of something good, not yet even experienced, but even good now in the context of what we know. This hope is certain. And I think that's where the thrill comes in. What is it like to live out a certain I know for me, becoming a Christian, because I was a risk taker my whole life, most of the times it got me in trouble. And we all want to have thrills and we all search for excitement. But there was then and still now nothing more exciting than living out of the thrill of hope of what I was expecting from God through Jesus Christ. It was powerful. As I think about that, Hebrews 6, verses 16 to 20, listen to these words as it talks about hope. People swear by someone greater than themselves, and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did not do this, or God did this, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul. 
firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So some people are hopeful because they have good prospects, right? Others of us have hope because we're simply unrealistic about life. Isn't that true? Think about it. And it isn't just young people. This isn't getting on young people. This is everybody. But biblical hope doesn't depend on situations or personalities. Let me say that again. Biblical hope doesn't depend on situations or personalities. True hope is rooted in the faithful, unchanging character of God and his promises through Jesus, the anchor of our hope and our souls. Think about that. Jesus, the anchor of our souls and our hopes. Where do you want your hopes fastened to? The one who came, the one who spoke creation into existence and took on flesh and understands us in our humanity, but more than that, died so that we might know life and reconciliation and in the midst of that provides for us when he's coming back to take us to a place of glory. Where do you want your anchor? I don't want it in the Philadelphia Eagles. I don't want it in the fact that my career might bring some success to me. I don't want it in the fact that I might have all the money in the world, but I get cancer and die. What good is it? Where do I want my hope? As in the very one who came in the flesh. The very one who rose from the dead. And for the very one who brings forgiveness and reconciliation. And the very one who speaks to us and says, I love you. That's where we want it. That's the anchor of our souls. So, as I'm thinking about that. I'm thinking about, I know when I say this message to you, there are some people here, and we're struggling. Maybe we're grieving. Maybe we've had a great loss. Maybe our hearts have been full with lament. And yet this message of hope sounds too good, Ange. It's too enthusiastic. You're always enthusiastic. Do you ever suffer any type of depression in your life or despair or hopelessness? Yes, of course so. But this hope goes so much deeper than that. And Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 speaks about that. And Paul is really speaking into this. And let me just read it. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, 
because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, there's, there's tension in human life, right? There's this tension because we either find ourselves either in despair or hope. We sort of have this going back and forth in our minds and in our hearts. There's things that disappoint. There's things that, that just basically frustrate. And then there's those things which bring hope and bring joy, and we seem to be going back and forth. But, but I think the tendency is, is that we easily see the winter more than we see the spring and the summer. Is that not true in our hearts? We live in a culture that loves for us to see winter. But Paul reminds us, we need to teach our hearts to recognize that, yes, we are not going to be free from the seasons of life, and there will be times of winter in our lives. And it will come again and again. But thanks be to God, so will Christmas hope. So will Christmas hope. And we get stronger as we persevere Resting in God's love poured out into our hearts. And that's where Paul is going with this. He's saying, don't lose sight. This hope is yours. And, and it's because of the love that God has. And the Spirit has shown you that love. Don't callous your heart, but bring your heart. Come and see it again. Go back to the Christmas message through the year. You don't just have to do it once on Christmas. Go back again and look at it and then move to the resurrection from the cross and let that hope fill you again. See, because we live with an irrepressible, infallible hope. And someday, all deformity, decay, sin, disease, imperfection is going to be wiped away. And Romans 8 tells us that that's begun now that the curse is being reversed, that Aslan is on the move, that through Christ this is happening right now because the sons and daughters of God are revealed. Hallelujah, that's you and me. Amen? Amen. Whatever problem we have when we think about our lives, whether it's disease or injustice or some other suffering, here's what we know. Eventually, God's power is going to triumph. Psalm 30, verse 5, Weeping may remain for the night, but joy comes with the morning. How wonderful is that? And I love the words of Peter in 1 Peter 3, 1, 3 to 5. Peter, who certainly knows winter, who certainly has sensed hopelessness, right? Who went out on his own and needed Jesus to speak to him. Here's what he says. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ and his great mercy has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Brothers and sisters, we have living hope 
because the babe who was born, God in the flesh, who suffered and died and yet rose again, is alive. And he is alive with hope for us. I was thinking through this. What does this look like? I used to read these stories, I don't know about you guys, about different wars, and in the middle of a war at Christmas season, like World War I, while they were in trenches, all of a sudden they started singing, Oh, Holy Night. And both sides, for that particular moment, as the Spirit of God led in the middle of like this unbelievable place of death and war, for those moments, they actually came together. They actually said Merry Christmas to one another. And there was this transcendent moment in the middle of a war at Christmas time where there was this hope and joy in the middle of it. And I was thinking, yes, it's true. And I, when I think about our brothers and sisters in the Ukraine, what do we know that they were doing? President Zelensky even said it in his speech. What did he say? Even if it was in bomb shelters, they were going to celebrate. Whether it be the city squares or half-destroyed churches and homes, brothers and sisters in Ukraine earlier today were singing about a hope that transcends their current situation, anchored in the one who became flesh and dwelled among us. And so there are brothers and sisters in the Middle East and other places of persecution around the world who in this moment are celebrating this amazing event of God becoming flesh. And in the midst of that, all that's going on, there's a hope that transcends it. I think about brothers and sisters experiencing grief and poverty, whether around the world or in our cities. And here's basically what this hope is saying. We're not alone. There's one who is with us and for us in our sufferings, one who understands and gives mercy in our time of need, one who stepped in and took on flesh, and as Hebrews tells us, that he is able to empathize with us and give us grace and mercy in our time of need. Yes, brothers and sisters, this is the message of Christmas. Let us thrill to this hope because whether we know it or not, the Lion of Judah is on the move and we are the ones who bring the message of hope. We are the people that he uses so are you this Christmas? Where are you going today? Are you going to be someone who brings hope with you? Think about that. What would that look like? It might just be a kind word to someone you see irritating. It might be that you have an opportunity to actually pray with someone that would never have thought they'd be prayed for. It might be that you might step into somebody's life and they can't get over the fact that you have so much joy and you're able to explain it to them. But are we going to be willing, both today and throughout our time here that God gives us,
to be the people of hope, spreading the rumor that God is on the move and he's calling you to himself and he's calling you to hope and he's calling you to glory even in the hardest and most broken places. This transcends the brokenness of this world. May God do that in our lives. May we celebrate. May we have thrill. I want, I want more and more to thrill in the hope that I have in Jesus Christ. This is the Christmas message. Let it touch our hearts in a new way. I just want to thank you, Jesus. I want to thank you, Father. I want to thank you that, that you chose me. Who am I to know this great truth and to have it resonate in my heart to be used of God to be able to go to others who are in desperate need, desperate need of a certain hope. So let's be people who know that we have a promise keeper who know that the rumor is true and we have certain hope that we can not only live out of, but bring to others. Join me in prayer of thanksgiving this morning for this. Father, we just come this morning and we just marvel and, and, and Lord, wonder, that wonder that comes with seeing with the eyes of the heart that there is a God who would love us so much that he would enter into our world. That he would fulfill every promise in this baby that was born, Jesus the Savior, who will come again to bring us home. I pray that we will rest we will rest in you. We will, Lord, in those moments of doubt and distrust and winter, we would turn to you. We would have this story come to our hearts again and again that, Lord, we might know love and hope and peace and joy. And we pray this now in your precious name. Amen.